I want to say, I think it's right to say, Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks, Scott. I'm glad that you're here because I know there are a lot of things competing for your time today, so I just want to say thank you for being here and thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I realize that today can be a day of mixed emotions for us, for many of us. It is certainly a day of celebration. It's certainly a day when we get to just celebrate mom and what that means, and that's a day of joy, and that's something to celebrate, and it's something to honor. And it's right that we would do that. But we also recognize that today can be hard because today can be a reminder of a loss. Today can be a reminder of an absence or a void for many of you. And so we just want to encourage you this morning to turn to the Lord for comfort. That's why this morning we're going to talk about the Lord. We're not going to talk about moms. I'd encourage you to turn to the Lord for, the, for comfort, and I think that Often the Lord gives his people as a way to comfort his people. So if you need someone to talk to or pray with this morning, if you have a burden on your heart, I would just encourage you to share that with us, to write it on a card or to come up and talk with one of us, any of us that are up here this morning. Ask for prayer. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to do that for you this morning. It's why we're here, and we're grateful that you're here worshiping with us this morning. I want to say that Krista and I um, are really glad to be back this morning. Some of you know we've been away on a long week retreat that took us away from two Sundays with you, so we've really missed you. <laughs> we've really missed being here, and I, I want to take a minute to just thank you for that time away. I want to thank you for your prayers for us, your encouragement of us, your texts to us, your emails to us, your support of us while we were gone, and just say, I haven't even gotten back to all of you, so I'm sorry, but we're overwhelmed by your care, and we're deeply grateful for the generosity of this church toward us, toward our family, in giving us that time. I think our, if it makes sense, our time away was intense and restful. Um, I think the best word for it would be fruitful. It felt like fruitful time, and so we're really grateful and just want to say thank you. It also strikes me in saying that, um, that Krista and I receive an inordinate amount of support and attention and care from this family, and there are countless other people who pour themselves out all the time for this church family and for the Lord. So I wanted to take a minute... Um, to thank those who serve in this church family. So I'm just going to ask you to stand if you meet one of the following qualifications. If you're part of our setup team, would you stand up for a minute? If you're part of our hospitality team, would you stand up for a minute? If you're part of our prayer team, would you stand up? Our children's ministry team, if you lead a life group, if you're part of our youth staff, if you're on a worship team, if you're part of the tech ministry, if you're a teen teacher, women's ministry team, social media team, I could go on and on. If you serve in some capacity in this church family, can you just stand up? Our overseers and those who help, and can you just say thank you to this group this morning? Thank you for serving.
That is not in any way to forget the 15 or 20 people who are in the back serving our children as we speak. I'm overwhelmed by the number of you who serve faithfully and regularly, and I just want to say thank you. And um, I hope we say it a lot. I know we don't say it enough, so thank you. Thank you for serving because I think it glorifies God. Okay, that is enough about all of us. Let's talk about the one that we're here to worship. Let's talk about the reason that we're here this morning. Let's talk about the Lord. We are continuing this morning our series in the book of Luke. And um, if you recall, Luke is writing this gospel that we might have a full account of the life of Jesus and be able to trust that it's an accurate account of what he did and what he said. That's why Luke is writing the gospel. Now, if I were to ask you this morning or to tell you that you and I have the same job, how many of you would agree with me? You and I have the same job, okay? There's a couple hands. Now, I'm not saying that you and I have the same vocation because there are a number of people in here who are grandparents. I'm, I'm not a grandparent. There are a number of moms here with us this morning. I'm not a mom. There are students, teachers, police officers, accountants, managers, writers, filmmakers. I could go on and on as I think through what each of you do for a living. We have different vocations, but as followers of Jesus, you and I have the same job. We are to be disciples. We are to be followers of Jesus. And what does it mean to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? It means that I mean to submit every aspect of my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every part of me submitted to the king and then help others to do that also. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That I would submit every aspect of my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and then help others to do the same. And what we're going to see this morning as we look in the book of Luke is that we're going to see that we're saved, but that we're saved for a purpose. The purpose is to be a disciple, and being a disciple means that I have a new job. From now on, once I become a disciple, I have a new job, a God assignment. And everything that I do, I'm to do for my king. So before we open God's word this morning, I just ask if you would join me in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you for the truth that we find in it, and we thank you that we can trust it. Lord, I thank you for this church family, for all of those who are here worshiping with us, for all of those who serve so faithfully. Lord, as we open your word, would you speak to us clearly through it? Would you speak your words to our hearts? You know where we are this morning, so would you give us insight into your word? And would you allow us to live lives that are completely surrendered for your purpose? We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can listen. We've brought some Bibles for you and scattered them among the seats there, so you can probably find one nearby. You're welcome to use it. 
You can do that now or after the service. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you're welcome to just take ours home with you. We would love for you to have that as our gift to you this morning. If you're using our Bible, we're going to be in the New Testament, page 860, if you're looking for it. So toward the back, page 860, Luke chapter 5. So far, what we've seen in Luke's gospel is that different people respond to Jesus differently. Everybody seems to have a response to Jesus, but everybody's response seems to be a little bit different. We're in Luke chapter 5, but if we just look back at what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, some people just stare at Jesus. That's their response. Len talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, Luke 4, verse 20. Some people are just so surprised or so confused by Jesus that they can just stare. There's something different about him. Some people would rather throw him off a cliff. We saw that also. They said um, also in chapter 4, When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. That's a couple different responses we've seen. Some people are just so in awe of his teaching, the fact that he teaches with such authority and such clarity, that they just want to hear more of what he has to say, and they're anxious to tell everyone they know about him. As it says, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Everybody responds to Jesus differently, but everybody responds And what we find by the time we get to chapter 5, that whether people like him or not, Jesus has attained some level of notoriety. For lack of a better term, Jesus is a celebrity. He is a local celebrity, and everywhere he goes, people want to be around him. They want to be around him either because they agree with what he says, or they disagree with what he says, (coughs) or they just want to see what he's going to say next. And they want to tell all their friends to be there as well. So it's no surprise that as we get to our passage this morning, we find Jesus talking to a large crowd of people. Now, despite the fact that he's teaching a large crowd, Luke is going to focus in chapter 5 on really two people, Jesus and Peter. It's almost frustrating when you think about it, because he's speaking to a large crowd of people, And Luke really tells us almost nothing about it. Luke's going to focus on Jesus and Peter. And just as a point of clarification before we read, in this passage, Peter's called Simon, or he's called Simon Peter. We know him now as the Apostle Peter. That's how we're familiar with him. But just so that it's not confusing, if you don't know, it's the same person. So I'm going to call him Peter, but our passage is going to call him Simon. And look at how Jesus finds Simon in this passage passage. Read with me, starting in verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's the Sea of Galilee. That's probably how you're familiar with that. Then verse 2, And he saw two boats by the lake, 
But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, there's a couple of things that are worth noting in these first few verses. First, Jesus is very popular, so popular that the crowds are pressing in on him. They're literally swarming him as he's against the edge of the lake. There are so many people pressing so close to him that what he does is find a boat. And he says, put me out a little bit from the shore so that I can have a little bit of personal space here. It's uncomfortably close, a large crowd that they're to see him. And he sits down in the boat and he teaches them. Now, the boat part is a little bit unusual. The sitting down part is not. That would actually be the natural way to teach, to sit and to teach a large group of people as they listen. Jesus just happens to be doing that from a boat. I don't think it's a coincidence that he happens to get into Peter's boat, but he does. The other thing that I want to point out here is that Peter is what? What is Peter's job? What does Peter do for a living? He's a fisherman. That's his job. That's what he does. And what can we observe? If you were a detective, I happen to love Sherlock Holmes. So if you're Sherlock Holmes and you read these first few verses, what can you observe about Peter and his co-workers and their job? The boats are not in the lake. They're on the shore. The nets are being washed. They're done. They're done fishing. They've fished all night. We're going to learn that in a moment. And now they're done fishing. And I know what you're thinking. That is a fascinating observation. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Why on earth do I care that they're done fishing? Well, apparently, it matters... And we're going to see why it matters in a little bit, but it really matters to Luke because if I were writing this and Jesus were teaching the word of God, I think I would write down what Jesus is saying. But that's not what Luke writes down. As we read, we find that what Luke is really interested in conveying to us is the interaction between Jesus and Peter. Here's how I know this. Because verse 3 says... No, not verse 3. Yes, verse 3. He sat down. Sorry, I totally lost my place. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And then verse 4 says, And when he had finished speaking, he just skipped the whole message to the people. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon is done fishing. The boats are out of the lake. They're washing the nets. They're done for the night. And Jesus says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It's a lot of fish. Luke says Jesus is teaching the word of God. And he 
doesn't tell us what he said at all. How can that not be the point? Jesus teaching the word of God, how can that not be the point of the passage? But it's clearly not. He doesn't tell us what he says to the crowd, but he tells us what he says to Peter. And what does he say to Peter? He gives him a fishing tip, right? It's not really a tip. It's actually not really even a suggestion. It's a lot more like a command. What does he tell Peter to do? Try again. Go try again. Now, Peter and his co-workers are professional fishermen. This is not a hobby for them. This is what they do for a living. This is how they make their livelihood. They have been fishing all night, which is when you fish with nets. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. So Peter could say, listen, Jesus, you do what you do best, and I'll do what I do best, and I fish. We're not going to catch fish in the day with a net after spending all night in the same place catching nothing. And I'm not going to go back out there to catch nothing again. I'm tired. I'm almost done. If I go out there and catch nothing, I've got to come back. I've got to pull the boats in again. I've got to wash the nets again and let them dry before I can go home. So no thank you. But it's not what Peter says. What does he say? He does intimate that a little bit, right? He's like, um, we've been doing that, but at your word, I will. That's what he says. Because you asked, I'll do it. That's Peter's response. What Jesus is asking Peter to do is crazy. At the very least, it's horribly inconvenient. It doesn't make any sense except for who's asking him to do it. Now, why would Peter trust what Jesus says? Jesus' name carries a little different connotation for us today than it did for Peter in this moment. When we say Jesus asked you to do something, we're like, well, I guess I better do it. It's Jesus. But at this point, his ministry is just getting started. Why would Peter trust what he says? Well, Peter knows that he teaches with authority. He's seen him do some things. In fact, Clint was showing us just last week that Peter saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He saw it happen, and he just heard him teach while he's washing his nets on the beach. So he knows there's something different about this guy. So Jesus asked Peter to obey, and he does. And the result is overwhelming success literally overwhelming success. They cannot get all the fish in the boat. The nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. So how do you respond when something like that happens? What are Peter and his co-workers thinking as this is taking place and they're trying to get all these fish in the boat and the more fish they get in the boat, the lower the boat gets in the water? This is not just surprising. This is not like, wow, that's a lot of fish. This is miraculous. Like, wow, that's too many fish. Clearly, something significant is happening. So what do you do if you're Peter? Look at how Peter responds in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, 
he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Just take that in for a minute. These guys fish for a living. They were not surprised by the catch of fish. They were astonished by the fish. Clearly, this did not make sense on every level. It's clear to everyone that something supernatural has taken place. And Jesus said to Simon, so Peter throws himself on his knees before Jesus and says, please go, I'm sinful. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter's response to what takes place here, I think shows that he has some inclination of what has just happened. He knows that this is not just surprising. This is unbelievable. Peter is the first person in Luke's gospel to address Jesus as Lord. Peter's the first actually to do a lot of things, some good and some bad. He's the first to respond when Jesus is arrested and cuts some guy's ear off. He's the first to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the first of the apostles to arrive at the empty tomb. He's a reactor, right? Peter reacts to stuff, and he reacts here and appropriately. At some level, Peter understands who Jesus is. He recognizes him as a man of God, somehow divine, holy. We know that because of his response. That recognition overwhelms him, and it exposes him before Jesus. Being in the presence of Jesus, who clearly has authority and has power that comes from God, throws Peter's own brokenness and sinfulness into sharp relief, and he just says, please go. Please go away, because I am a sinful man, and I don't deserve to be in your presence I see a clear parallel here between Peter's response and Isaiah's response in Isaiah chapter 6 when he's confronted with the holiness of God and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something about the holiness of God that is overwhelming when we're confronted with it. And if I can just put us on pause for a second here, to consider, I have a question for you. Have you ever really thought about your brokenness and your sin in relation to a holy God? Have you ever given yourself some time, 15 minutes, an hour, a day, where you've just set aside time to consider your brokenness and sinfulness before a holy God? Have you ever been so moved that you would grieve over your sin before God? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever humbled yourself before God and fallen on your knees and said, I don't deserve you? 
And I would submit this morning that if we have never grieved over our sin before God and we say that we're a follower of Christ, we probably don't get our sin. We probably don't understand the depth of our brokenness before him. I think sometimes we get so comfortable with the good news that it's not good news anymore. I think sometimes we're so comfortable with the idea of God's grace and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy toward us that we take it for granted. And it's not that those things aren't true. They are true. But sometimes we can walk very arrogantly through life and say, God loves me no matter what I do. It doesn't change how much he loves me, which is a true statement. But it can cause us to live in pride and arrogance where we don't care what we do before a holy God. God loves me no matter what I do. That's true, but I'll just say, you know what? He shouldn't. (laughs) He shouldn't because we are desperately broken and sinful. We are so unlike God and we are so stained by the world that he literally cannot be in our presence because he is holy. He shouldn't love us. He shouldn't extend mercy to us. I know that that sounds harsh, but I think that some of us come into this place this morning without ever considering who we worship and how holy he is and how sinful we are before him. And I would just encourage you to sit with that for a minute and just let it humble you. Let it bring you to your knees like it did Peter. Now, the amazing thing about God is he does love us. He really does love us in spite of the fact that that's true of who we are. And the good news is you can't do anything that would make him love you any less. And even if you're on the setup team or teaching Sunday school, you can't do anything to make him love you anymore. You can't earn it. You can't work it off. So you can relax You don't have to serve on the setup team to make God love you. It brings him glory. It serves his family. God loves us anyway. And I want to say this because some of us walk in pretty arrogantly to worship a holy God. But some of you come into this place so weighed down by your sin and so ashamed of what you've done, you need to sit with the good news for a minute. And you need to let it encourage you this morning. Say, God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you have the love of a holy God who has pursued you and crushed his own son in your place so that he could be with you. How great is that? 
And I would just say anything that puts us in danger of not accepting and believing and celebrating the good news is a problem. And if that's our pride before God, it's a problem. And we need to confess that. And if that's our shame before God, that's a problem. And we need to confess that. Peter falls on his knees and says, please go. Because I am broken and full of sin and I don't deserve to be in your presence. And look at what Jesus says. Don't be afraid, Peter. It's what every angel says too. Fear not. Don't freak out. He says, don't be afraid, Peter. I'm going to change everything. From now on, you work for me, Peter. I'm going to start with your job. Let's talk about that. You're going to come work for me, Peter. And Peter and James and John leave everything and follow Jesus. That's how our passage ends this morning. You could just read that pretty quickly and move on. But did you hear it? They gave up everything and followed Jesus. What is Jesus worth? Just everything. That's all. When you recognize Jesus for who he is, there isn't a price that's too high to follow him where he asks us to go. And Peter, James, and John understood that because they had just seen something unbelievable. Jesus tells Peter, you may be a fisherman, but I've got a new job for you. You may be a sinner, but guess what? I'm all about good news for sinners, Peter. And I've got some good news for you. And I have sought you out for a purpose. And I'm going to give you a new purpose as you follow me. I'm going to give you a new job as you follow me. How does Jesus find Peter in this passage? Hard at work, right? Hard at work, cleaning the nets, done with a hard night's work that brought him nothing. Hard at work in fruitless labor. Despite his best efforts, Peter's come up empty. And so what does Jesus ask Peter to do? Just Take me at my word, Peter. Just do what I say. Obey me, even when it sounds crazy. Don't obey me because it makes sense. Obey me because it's me asking. And then what does he call him to do? To respond. To respond to a job offer. He says, let me exchange your fruitless hard work for kingdom hard work that in God's economy is overwhelmingly successful. So come have a new job working for me. It's fine that you're a fisherman, but you've got a new job, all of you, and you work for me. You do hard work for the kingdom now, and I have a great benefits package. You're going to love it. Now, this passage this morning is about Peter. It's about Jesus and Peter and Peter's call and these men who respond to the call to follow Christ. But it's really difficult for me to read this and not see the implications for us and the immediate gospel implications for us because we find ourselves in a very similar position to Peter. Not that we're all fishermen, although I know a few of you are. I've seen pictures recently. But we find ourselves in a similar position. We find ourselves broken and engaged in fruitless labor. Despite our hard work and our best efforts, we're unable to get to God. We can't earn our way to him. We can't make ourselves right. 
That's where Jesus finds us. And what does he ask of us? He asks us to take him at his word. He says, I want you to believe what I've said is true and what I've done for you. I want you to believe that I loved you enough to send my son to die in your place so that you and I could be together, that we could restore the relationship that I designed you for. Because you're not going to find what I offer anywhere else. And you can work really hard in a lot of other things, and they're all going to come up empty. But if you pursue me, if you obey me, if you follow me, you will find overwhelming success beyond what you have ever imagined. That doesn't mean you're going to be overwhelmingly wealthy yet. It doesn't mean you're going to be overwhelmingly successful in your business. What it means is you're going to be overwhelmed by God and his love, what he sets you out to do, and what he offers you in eternity. And I can guarantee nobody's going to follow Jesus for their life and get to heaven and be let down. It's better than you can imagine. And you can imagine a lot. I think it's important for us to understand that we were saved for a purpose. That when we were saved to become followers of Jesus, we weren't just saved and invited into his family to experience eternal blessing. We get that. We weren't just saved from eternal separation for God, though we get that. We were saved to be about his kingdom work right now. He says, from now on, I have work for you to do for my kingdom. So be about doing my work. Peter, we would see in his life, would surrender the rest of his life for God's kingdom work. Not without mistakes, by the way. In fact, when Jesus is crucified, where do we find Peter? Right back here, fishing. Immediately after Jesus dies, he goes right back to what he was doing before. And Jesus has to come and correct him and say, hey, I gave you a new job. Go do it. Feed my sheep. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. It's the same command. Peter also doesn't do it by his own power. He doesn't just effort his way to kingdom work. He does it by the Spirit of God. I guess my question for us is, do we all have the same job? If we say we're followers of Jesus, do we all have the same job and do we understand what that is? Are we living as disciples, people who are seeking to surrender every aspect of their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and then helping other people do the same? Is that what we see as why we're here? Do we understand that that's why we were saved? Not only do we get this incredible blessing of being with God and having a relationship with him, but we have the opportunity to be about his kingdom work right now. If you've surrendered your life to him, if you're, obey, you're willing to obey his word and respond to his lordship in your life, then are you allowing the Spirit of God to work in you and work through you to accomplish his kingdom purposes? As I think about this church family and I think about Peter's response, 
I just have to say I'm overwhelmed by how you respond to the Lord. I'm overwhelmed by how hard you work for his kingdom. My deep concern for you is that you would feel cared for as you do that and that we would be able to find joy in doing that here for his glory, not for our glory and not because we asked, but for the glory of God and for his kingdom that people might come into this place or meet people coming out from this place and be invited into God's family because we're all about his mission and we're all about telling people about him. That would be my hope and my prayer. And let me just warn you that he's going to ask us to do some hard things. For many of you, he already has. And that doesn't mean he's done. He may ask you to do a hard thing more than once. I'm thinking of John and Amanda this morning who God has called into full-time ministry who we will miss and who we love. God asks hard things of his family and sometimes that means saying goodbye to people we love because they're going on to pursue his kingdom work somewhere else. We're going to make mistakes probably more than once. We're going to allow other things to have lordship in our life other than him. It's just true. You know why? Because we're sinful and broken and selfish. Child of weakness, the hymn says. God says, I know you can't, so I did. Every time we make a mistake, every time we fall on our face, we praise God for the truth of the gospel that says, I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And I've saved you anyway. And I saved you for a purpose. So if you're going to fail, fail forward. Fail following me. You're not going to get it all right. You're not going to do it all right. But I'll give you an A for effort. It's the same gospel that meets us in our futile attempts to find satisfaction in anything other than Christ. That meets us in our brokenness and said, I'm saving you. And I'm saving you for my kingdom purpose. The same gospel that makes us painfully aware of our own sin and humbles us before a holy God. But then, instead of judgment and fear, he says, let me just invite you into my family because I've done the work that needed to be done. So we obey and we surrender and we allow ourselves to be used for the glory of God. That's our job as followers of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are weak. We are weak children, and we praise you for saving us. We're so grateful for that. Lord, we want to surrender our lives to you, but it's hard. We want to follow what you ask of us, but we struggle. We try, and sometimes we don't try, we make mistakes and we sin. And we beg your forgiveness. We ask that you'd help us to understand your holiness. We ask that you would humble us before you. And we praise you for the gospel that says, even though we know we aren't good enough, that you're more than good enough. 
We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we worship you now and let it be pleasing in your ears. Amen.